Well, all right. If you have your Bibles, open them up. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus uh, chapter 1. Uh, it's, it's a weird way to start what I'm about to say because I, I typically don't want to lead in this direction. Um, but but when, I, when I read my Bible, uh, if, if there's a people group that I get uh, the most frustrated with, uh, it, it's the Israelites. And in fact, almost all of the Old Testament will follow uh, their history. And it, and it seems as, as a person who gets to watch um, in, in a way from, from the sidelines that, uh, that clearly uh, their lives would be better if they would have simply trusted God. Uh, if they would have just simply followed his ways and they could have avoided so much of the pain that they experience. And, and I think it's, it's frustrating because uh, when, when you walk with the Israelites in the Old Testament, you get to see these flashes when, when their hearts are God's and they say, hey, we long to live for the glory of your name. And you see God move in these incredible ways that only he can move. And God provide in these ways that only he can provide. And, and then, then you get to these other flashes where their hearts turn inward. And, and their worship either becomes of themselves or their idols. And I would uh, suggest that, that all idol worship is really just the worship of self anyways. Um, and, and, and we get to experience these flashes where as they experience uh, the sabotaging effects of, of their will and then or uh, the disciplined wrath of, of God. And, and, and reading the Old Testament at times is, is kind of like watching a bad horror movie uh, where, where the person's walking down the hallway and, and you know that the further they walk down the hallway, the more dangerous they get and and you want to scream at the, uh, you want to scream at him and say, "Hey, hey, hey! Don't open that door, because it's not going to be good for you." And yet, what happens? They always open that door, and you're like, "I told you so." And that's 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 my relationship with the Israelites, and I get I get so frustrated with them, and, and I think. Um, as, as I try to ask God, okay, why is that? Why am I frustrated with these people? And I think it's because the Israelites really, is, is, it's, it's not that it's, that, that the Israelites really is, is because there's, there's not a person or a people group in the Bible that I think I most identify with or, or exposed by. And that, that, so when I, get, when I get worked up with the Israelites' lack of regard for for trusting and worshiping God properly. The, the Holy Spirit typically puts His arm around me and, and just whispers ever so kindly into my heart, Hey, dum-dum, are, are you frustrated with them or are you frustrated that you've not, you're not willing to learn from their missteps? Because it's clearly, it's, again, it's like watching somebody walk down a hallway to their doom. And, and I think it's, it's one thing to live life in real time. And I think it's another uh, to be able to see the steps of those who come before us and realize from their actions what can be avoided in our own life. And, and so, so for this reason, we're going to spend some time uh, over these next few weeks walking with the Israelites. 
Uh, the Israelites are simply, if you don't know, they're, they're the people of God. They're God's chosen nation. And, and, and we're going to walk with them as they take this uh, journey from slavery in Egypt and encounter an exodus back in their promised land. And, and what, what we'll pay special attention to are some promises that God shares over them. Uh, and, and how they, these promises still apply to us today. And I think in a lot of ways... Uh, we get to live, as we were exploring in our journey through Hebrews these past couple weeks, we get to live in a better promise uh, because Jesus brings us into a, a better covenant. And so, so, what, so when we are exposed in these weeks, my prayer is that uh, you would not shy away from the light uh, because of, of shame or because of guilt or even because of, of pain. I believe that, that by pressing into God in these moments, we'll be better able to experience the freedom that He is and that He has made available uh, for us. And, and so where we are today, we're, we're going to merge lanes uh, and begin caravanning with the Israelites uh, in, a, in a very, 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 very uh, painful time in their lives. Uh, in fact, we, we start here uh, in part because the book of Exodus starts here with their movement, even though we're not taking our typical verse-by-verse um, verse approach through the, the book of Exodus. Uh, and, and now, what may happen, though, as, as we see their plight, um, is that you may be drawn in towards similar feelings of a painful season. Uh, perhaps it's a, it's a painful season in your, in your past, or, or maybe even you're in the middle of a painful season and you are in your suffering. And the questions that surround the Israelites described in these verses and, and are, are perhaps some of the very ones you've been asking God yourself. And, and so, so you may even find yourself claiming uh, that, that your suffering is greater. <laughs> you, ever, you ever do that in the Bible? You say, well, I mean, yeah, those guys, that's bad, but they don't, get, they don't know how bad it really is. Uh, or, or you may, as we walk with the Israelites, you may see them and you may realize uh, that, that possibly your pain has been greatly exaggerated uh, in, in regards to what you have considered oppression or, or difficulties uh, when you see the circumstances that they are in. And, and now, and, and what I want to encourage you to do, if you find yourself in either one of, of those aisles, is, is I want to encourage you to not compete. I, I, I want to encourage you to know this morning uh, that at times we are all part of, of what we can call the pain club. Uh, that, that, that even if your pain is different from mine, it's, it's all pain. And, and now, not all pain is equal, but, but what it does is, is pain makes us aware of our need for, for mercy and our longing for compassion. That's, that's what it does. And so, so don't miss the point. This isn't a, hey, over these weeks, let's gather together and see who can have the saddest story competition, uh, where, where compassion is the prize. Though the point here is that whether our misery is big or small, we, we all find ourselves underneath the fountain of God's mercy. And, and, but, but finding ourselves in that fountain begins with being honest about, uh, this morning, specifically about our suffering. Uh, and so as, as we dive into the story of the Israelites suffering in Egypt, I, I want to invite you to honestly face the suffering in your life. Whatever, whatever it, it looks like, 
uh, and to find a way to kind of put yourselves in, in their shoes. And so, so let's start in uh, Exodus chapter 1, verse 5, and, and we kind of skip 1 through 4 because it's kind of a, a genealogy. And so, so we start here. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt, and then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied, and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them, the land being Egypt. And so, so let's, let's jump back just a few hundred years. Uh, Jacob, uh, who is also in the Old Testament called Israel, uh, was Joseph's father. So, so in, in what Jacob does is he brings his family to Egypt in hopes of surviving a famine. And, and it's an incredible, incredible uh, circumstances that God orchestrates to allow these refugees to not just seek uh, refuge, but to flourish in the land. In fact, uh, they remained in Egypt for, for many generations, and it says they, they multiplied, and, and in fulfillment of God's promise to Jacob, uh, whose grandfather was Abraham, they became a great people. This was always the promise, and it started with, the, with an old man and an old woman who were barren. And God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And so th their abundance in the land was a sign of, of God's blessing. And Joseph was responsible for saving uh, the land from famine. If you want to know more about that, I can tell you it's incredible, the circumstances. Uh, but, but Genesis 41 will kind of lead you down that road. And in fact, if it hadn't been for uh, the godly wisdom that God gave Joseph uh, and the administration that God gave Joseph uh, of Egypt's food stores, Egypt itself would have been crippled. It was the only nation in all the land uh, that was uh, ready for the famine. In fact, he saved Egypt by sending his people, uh, and Egypt knew this, and they remembered Joseph, and they honored Joseph's family right up until uh, verse 8. And this is where it starts to get difficult. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many, and they're too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply against us and escape from the land. Verse 11, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, uh, Pithom and, and Ramses. Uh, but, but the more they were oppressed and the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad and, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So, verse 13, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service and in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named um, that person and the other person was named Pua, uh, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on their birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, eh, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let uh, the male children live. And, 
And really what that's about to do is lead us to the birth of Moses in, in chapter 2. But, but, but these, are, these are major things that are developing. That a new king arose and, and he did not know Joseph. Now, that doesn't mean he, he's never heard of Joseph. It just simply means that he refused to acknowledge Egypt's debt of gratitude to Joseph and his family. Uh, and by extension, he refused to see the Israelites as, as a blessing to the land. And, and in time, you can see Pharaoh's heart growing fearful and angry with them. And, and then he turns on the Israelites and incited the Egyptians against them with, with his propaganda. And, and so Pharaoh plunged the Israelites in just a, just a choice. He plunged them into darkness and he began to beat them into ruthless slavery. They, they were oppressed and they were abused and they were enslaved. And, and now here's the thing. They did at this point nothing to warrant this treatment. They are by, by all um, extensions innocent people. And, and it wasn't just one act of harm, but this was a, a systematic oppression of a whole people group through slavery and racism and genocide and and in short what what happens is is the very land that brought them salvation becomes their death sentence and and at first that process involved just living in in relative freedom and then that freedom begins to shrink and they find themselves in slavery and so for the next few generations slavery is all they know it's all they know in fact Daily suffering was as far as the eye could see, that, that every memory was attached to oppression. And so, so let's jump just uh, about 23 verses into chapter 2. And it says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. Now, it's believed that during those many days, we're talking about a 40-year time span. The king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to who? God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and it says, and God knew. God knew. And so, so that is going to lead us to this, this very famous scene in all of the Bible called called the burning bush. And it's out of that moment that God speaks to us uh, through to Moses. And he says, hey, we're coming to get those people out of slavery. It is time. And so, so now, as I say that, we, let's, let's not go there. Let's stay in, in this moment and let's realize how hard it must have been to see their experience fit into God's grander story. Right? In fact, or to them... I think a question that's honest to ask is, did, did they even believe there was a grander story at all? Uh, because we can, we can imagine from their vantage point on the ground level that they felt abandoned by God in Egypt. In fact, the opening themes of, of Exodus don't really present the reader with a present and, and an active God. And I think this is probably a, a reflection of the Israelites' experience because God seemed absent. Okay? And it's really important we would understand the distinction in that word seemed. Because in the turmoil and in the difficulty, what we say is God is absent.
But as we read the word and as we trust in what God tells us is truthful, what happens is it's not that he is absent, that he seems absent from our perspective. And so I think, I think some, some honest questions begin to rise to the surface, right? Where, where was God? How long are the Israelites, do they have to suffer be, before God would, would intervene? And, and, and we know that, because, that though God seemed absent, he really wasn't. And we know that though Pharaoh seemed to have the final say in determining the fate of Israel, he didn't. But, but when you are in the thick of it yourself, as the Israelites were, those truths are not so easily grasped from a distance. And, and those truths that, that God is near and God is aware and God is moving and God knows that, that those truths seem to be elusive from us. And so, so the question we ask in the midst of our suffering, uh, the questions we ask in the midst of our suffering, aren't mainly intellectual ones about God's relationship uh, to evil and evildoers. The, those questions that we typically ask are very emotional ones. Such as, how can I trust a God who has the power to make it stop, but doesn't? Who, who is this indifferent God who makes such grand promises and then watches as his people are treated so unjustly? Does, does he feel anything at all when he hears their wellings? Or does he just stand back at a distance Distance, letting random events and, and the plans of evil men and the forces of nature take their course. Have, have you ever, have you ever found, uh, let me say this, are you brave enough to answer this question? Have you ever found yourself asking those type of questions? And now, what, why God waited some 430 years before delivering Israel, we don't know. We don't, but the fact that he did wait doesn't contradict his wisdom and his goodness and his mercy. That, that when, he, when he breaks onto the scene, we are left with no doubt about what he is like. That he hears the cries of his people and he is filled with compassion. This is what it says back in uh, verse 23. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out, for help and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob and God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Now, now God, God knowing here deserves just a little bit of unpacking because the significance of this language would have, been, would have spoken volumes to the original readers because this, this, this word knowing uh, it's more than just this mere awareness of, of their situation, that, that it conveys this deep and this personal and this, this intimate knowledge and, and really pity for, for his people, that, that he was paying attention to his chosen ones and he grieved that they had been denied the basic dignity as his image bearers. And so, in fact, uh, the, the plight of the Israelites uh, was not new to God. And this is so important because, because knowing this, I think, helps me uh, in these moments where I'm like, God, what, what are you doing? Uh, what, what is happening here? That, that God spoke uh, hundreds of years before and said, this is going to happen. In fact, he says it in this, uh, I'll just read it to you, Genesis uh, chapter 15. It says this, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on, on Abram, uh, who was Abraham, 
And behold, uh, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And then it says in Genesis 46, in case we forgot Genesis 15, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba uh, and offered sacrifices to God, uh, to the God of his father Isaac. And and God spoke to Israel in, in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. And then he says this, I will make, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now, here's what's remarkable about that. Everything that was said in Genesis 15, and then again in, in Genesis uh, 46, absolutely happened. Even down to the fact that Joseph closes his father's eyes. And so, so, so God knows and that's more than just mere awareness. That, that he also remembers his covenant. And that's, that's more than just mere recall. Uh, that that it's, it's movement in action. That God is not, si- he's not a, a silent and a detached and a distant deity. He, he hears his people's cries. He knows their sufferings. And he will keep his promise. And he will rescue them. And so we... We get to see this played out in the Israelites, but then in real time, we get to hope in faith and trust in faith that these things come true to us. In fact, uh, in, in Exodus, this is expressed in chapter, thir- uh, chapter 3 as the scene of the burning bush uh, when God says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, and I know their sufferings, and I have, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and, and to bring them out to that land, to a good and a broad land, he says. And, and in, in Exodus, God rescues his people by sending a redeemer. And the one uh, that we see primarily in the book of Exodus is Moses. Uh, and so, so Moses prefigures the ultimate redeemer, uh, redeemer uh, being God himself, that, that becoming one of us in the man of Jesus Christ who came down to bring us up. And so, so when we, we talk about a better promise, that, that when we get Jesus, what, what we get is when we look at him, we get to see how he's the ultimate expression of God's compassion for his people and the ultimate guarantee that, that, that God really does understand your pain. That, that Jesus lived the kind of pain that you perhaps are experiencing in part now. In fact, Jesus was, was made, uh, the Bible will say he was made like us in the, with all the frailty of, of humanity. 
that, that he endures the hostility of sinners, that, that he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows who was born out of, uh, who, was, who has borne our grief, that he was wounded and he was crushed and he was spit upon and he was oppressed, that, that he knows the agony of betrayal. And he knows the agony of betrayal from those who are closest to him. And, and he knows the chill of abandonment, that, that Jesus even knows the loneliness of suffering and, and the struggle at times to, to accept the Father's wisdom um, by allowing such pain, that, that he knows what it is to trust a God who can make it stop but doesn't. In fact, uh, you can go uh, really to any of the Gospels when he's praying in the garden and you can just kind of walk alongside. I think, I think Matthew 26 is probably one of the best ones to spend some time in this week because it's there that you see three times Jesus wrestling with the Father's plan and, and, and watch him ask about, um, and I think when you do that, you need to ask yourself about how you feel when earnest prayers seem to go unanswered or are answered in ways that still leave you in a difficult circumstance. So, or maybe asking, how does this affect your faith, really, the, the next time your prayers are desperate? I think going back to listening to Jesus speak to God is incredibly helpful when it comes to filtering through how we speak to Him. And I think we, we can take hope, uh, especially when we see Jesus in the garden, because we also see that, that He didn't do what we are so prone to attempt. That Jesus doesn't ignore the pain of the situation. That Jesus doesn't try to drown it out with addiction. He doesn't try to deny it. He doesn't try to mask it with, with religious platitudes. That he faced it and he ran to his father in his distress. And, and what is hard to note about Jesus in the garden scene is, is that, uh, that his suffering would just increase from there. That, that, that something we're going to see really uh, next week when we walk uh, parallel to, as we walk with the Israelites, that, that from that moment in the garden, Jesus' pain just becomes even more uh, severe. And, and so, so for us, our better promise is simply this, that Jesus can identify with your worst suffering. He can. No matter how hard your life seems to feel in the moment, Jesus identifies this, with that. And he conquers the fears and the oppression that we feel underneath the weight of that. And, and so, so for he, because he suffered not only an excruciating death, but he suffers the separation from the Father. And the fact is that none of us knows the full magnitude of what Jesus suffered. None of us do. And those who put their trust in Jesus, thank God, never will. Never will. And so, so we come back to Exodus. In Exodus, God doesn't turn away from the Israelites' pain. He faces it. And he heard, and he saw, and he knew their suffering, and he invites us to do the same. And the problem isn't that God has abandoned us when we are in pain, but I think that sometimes we refuse to face that pain with him. With him. So as, as God remembers his covenant, he in fact says, these are my people, I am their God, I love them enough to overcome any obstacle 
to get to that. And in Jesus, we see the full picture of God's covenant love towards his children. That's that's what we get to celebrate in Christ. There will not be, if you are in him, there will not be a moment for the rest of your life. There will not be a nanosecond for the rest of your life that he is not aware and he is not near and he is not attentive to your needs. So we can, we can start wrapping this up. I, I've struggled, I struggled all this week um, knowing that we're going to be in this passage and that, that our promise is, is this, that, that when you suffer, I am near, right? And that we get a better promise in Jesus that, that he doesn't send Moses back into our story. He sends someone who is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. So we get to celebrate the fact that God is near because Jesus is near. And we get to celebrate because Jesus is near. The Holy Spirit is near. And so that we're not left wondering what to do other than take our pain, take our suffering straight to God and see his goodness. And so, and so I struggle because what we get here is, is where we end here, I guess I should say, um, is uh, what seems like a very strange dismount. Mainly because we're leaving the Israelites, and guess what? They're still in pain. They're still suffering. And so, so we don't get the, uh, uh, the, the Brady Bunch ending, you know, where everything kind of worked itself out at the end of the sitcom. At the end of the episode, we're like, oh, well, that worked out really well the last minute. It doesn't happen that way. In fact, we, we sit with them. But, but I think where we are ending, I think it's important because we can hear a promise of God being spoken to the Israelites and then by extension spoken to us. And to hear it, though, we, we have to be open. We have to open our ears and we have to tear down our walls that I think legitimately at times suffering can cause us to build. We have to soften hearts that it's so easy for them to get hard. And what we need to hear God say, and really what he says is, when you suffer, I am near. I know, I am aware, I am at work. And what, what the Israelites don't realize much they are about to see God as he puts his power and his glory on display. They don't know it yet. They don't know it yet. It's, it's kind of like kind of like if you're a parent, there are times in your life you want to look at your kids and say, hey, you don't know it yet. But not only will this pass, but you're going to see God do some incredible things in the course of this season. And, and sometimes as parents, we say that hoping and trusting that God is going to remain true to those promises, right? But that, that, but that in this moment, the Israelites see pain. And what they don't know is that on the other side isn't God because he's already with them. But on as they walk through this pain, God is going to be doing some things that puts his glory on display. And when he puts his glory on display, it is always so that we can see that he is worthy of all of our praise. 
that he is worthy of all of our trust, that he is our shield, he is our great refuge. And so so without the exodus, this is what's so hard, I think, for a lot of us to understand, and I hope it's a lot of us to understand, because I know it's definitely hard for me to understand, that without the exodus, we won't see God reveal himself in the plagues of Egypt, we won't see the Passover, we won't see the Red Sea, we won't see these moments when he leads his people by the pillar of cloud uh, during the day and fire at night. We we won't see him feeding uh, them uh, as he leads them every day. He feeds them every day from heaven. And by the way, they're going to start complaining about that, that, that we won't see his spirit rest on the tabernacle to where the people of God can say God's shown up he's here that without the exodus we won't hear him teach us how to operate as a society to not be dirtbags and we won't understand his standard for for holiness and, and by extension we won't understand our desperate need to seek forgiveness from our sins. And all of this, all of this is around the bend, but in this moment, it seems as if it's light years away. And that's what suffering does, right? It tends to shorten our time. It tends to slow time down. And it tends to seem like all the walls are closing in. And I think we, we feel as what's happening with the Israelites, I think we can identify with. And again, we're not speedy. But I think I, I, I'd leave us with this question. Is it possible if you are in a painful season that your exodus is just beginning. Is it possible that God is leading you away from slavery into freedom and it begins with this initial promise? I'm near. I am aware. I hear your cries. I feel your groanings. Is it possible that in this moment, God is saying, hey, let's go. Let's go. Let's move together. Because there are going to be moments in the Exodus that get embarrassing. Again, it's why I'm so frustrated with the Israelites, because they're just like me. And my prayer for us over these past couple weeks into these weeks is that we, if that's the case, that we would be willing to walk away from slavery. That we would be willing to walk toward freedom. And the only way that's possible for us is through Jesus. Our desire this week is to love God by. Let me make a couple things available to you. If you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. Maybe, maybe you are in a season and it's hard, and, and maybe there's a piece of you that's like, well, it's not as bad as it is for other people, and I'm like, no, take that to God. He cares about you as a, as a father cares about his children, so take those things. If you need someone to pray with you about those things,
then let us, we'll have some people over here, we want to pray with you. If, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we believe he is the only way to, to a right relationship with God, but he's also is the only way to a life of peace and joy and purpose. And if you've never given your heart to him, man, come, come find me and let us talk to you about what he has done. I love you guys. I do. I do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that we can cry out to you. And that there's not a moment that you are not near. Father, what we pray is that in those moments that we feel that you are absent, that, that we would have the courage to bring you into the conversation of our suffering. And then we would have the strength to listen to your course of correction and, and we'd be able to see the light of your salvation. We love you. You too.